This short code podcast is a proud member of the MedEd Media Network. Inspiration, information, and guidance on your journey to medical school and beyond at MedEdMedia.com. Meandering in the margins of medicine, it's the short code podcast. Weird news, fresh views, helpful clues, and interviews by students for students. Subscribe to our weekly show at theshortcoat.com. Welcome back to the Short Coat Podcast, a production of the University of Iowa Carver College of Medicine. I'm Dave Etler. It's a great day. It's a great day here at the Carver College of Medicine. Why? Well, first of all, we're not members of the Sackler family, so our wallets are just you know, they're merely empty, and we have a clear conscience. Unless there's something I don't know about my lovely co-hosts today. Speaking of which, say hello to M1's Morgan Kennedy. Hello. Nathan Spitz. Yo, yo, yo. And and Maggie <laughs> Jakubiak. What's up? Hey, there you go. We'll also be joined by uh, Madeline Cusimano uh, when she gets out of whatever she's doing. Uh, but before we start today, short coats, I want to remind you that we offer free advice. That's right. Whether it's questions about medical school admissions or, or car repair, we will opine on anything. Just send your questions or anything else you like to the shortcoats at gmail.com. Or call 347-SHORT-CT and we'll give you an answer. It may not be the right answer. It may not even be uh, close to correct. If you're seeking medical advice from people on the on the internet or any other kind of <laughs> advice, it's the kind of advice you get from that situation. So, you know, but we, 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 we love to give advice. Always Yahoo answers. Right. We'll do that later in the show. <laughs> uh, Morgan, Nathan, Maggie, what and where were you before you were medical students? Yeah, I can start. I have grown up in Iowa my whole life, and I went to the University of Iowa for undergrad, so I love it here. Um, I have taken three years off since I graduated from Iowa from my undergraduate degree and worked as a nursing assistant and in research here in neuroscience, and then for the past five months, I've been in Nashville. Oh. As a barista. As a barista at <laughs> nice. Starbucks, which was an experience. <laughs> Very nice. What about uh, you guys? I can go. Uh, so my name's Nathan. I grew up in Osage, Iowa. I also went here for undergrad. Um, I graduated in three years and then moved out to Washington, D.C. to do research. Graduated at in three years. So it sounds Show it off. sounds really pretentious. But so our high school was super small, so we didn't have AP classes. Oh. So I took a bunch of community college classes. Oh, OK. All right. Um, and that anyway. That helps. Um, so then I went out to D.C. Plug uh, for anybody who's listening. The NIH IRTA program. It's a year or two year long program where you get to do some pretty cool research out in D.C. at the NIH. Um, there's like a couple other medical students have done it uh, and I had a great time doing it. So cool. And now I'm here. Uh, I'm from not from Iowa. I'm from Minnesota, actually. And I spent uh, the last four years going to school at the University of Minnesota. So I didn't take any time off. Um, but, you know, once a student, always a student, I guess. <laughs> Did you guys listen to the show before you uh, before you came here? I did. I actually did a research internship here uh, like two or three summers ago and found out about the podcast and I've kind of listened to it on and off ever since. Yeah. And I'm a weekly listener. I've listened for like two years. So if you're applying to medical school, keep listening. You can yeah. do it. This yes. can be you. Yeah. It's yeah. weird being on the other side of the, <laughs> the, of the phone. Yeah. yeah of the, 
Yeah, I listened to it. Got me through my like basic science research, like at the lab bench doing pipetting mm-hmm. and whatnot all day long. And I was like laughing out loud to myself, which is oh. not something that really happens um, in a lab usually. So this is the best fishing for compliments that I've done <laughs> in a long time. Excellent. You all get an automatic A plus in medical school. It was a great one. Yeah. Automatic. No, no. I've, you get an A plus in medical school. You're going to graduate. With an A plus, as Dave said in the intro, it was a great D for uh, medical education. As we, <laughs> great as we D. took our first uh, biochem exam. <laughs> oh, this oh, morning. Yeah. oh, that was this morning. Yeah, a great D. <laughs> <laughs> D's get degrees. Yep. MDs. What what uh, what new things have you done for the first time in the last couple of weeks since uh, school started? Oh, I think I've definitely hit my caffeine max this week. Uh, well, that's an important. Yeah. yeah, that's an important milestone. Yeah, yesterday I had two monster, I don't know if I should admit this, two monster energy drinks and a shot of espresso in 24 hours. (laughs) You seem very calm for somebody (laughs) I've only had like a moderate three cups today. Okay. My eyelids were twitching during orientation and like I looked it up on WebMD, not Yahoo Answers. Yeah. And they said like three potential causes, stress, fatigue, and over-caffeination and I was tired. Like all So I I was over-caffeinating. Yeah. But, yeah, but. when we're um, in anatomy lab, I just like always think about it. I'm like, what are med students going to say about me when I, they're going to be like, her heart is huge. She drank so much coffee. <laughs> All this. Yeah. We've had our first anatomy cadaver lab. Uh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. That? That's a- yeah. Um, it was it was rough going in, I think, at least for me. Not having any experience with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I you did, said you're a psychology major. Right. And you, um, I mean, you have to take your prereqs, but that doesn't include things like you know, dissection. Right. And there's, no. It doesn't have to. It doesn't even include anatomy, yeah. which is yeah. kind of weird. There's a lot less instruction uh, than I thought there would be. You know, sometimes there's like six abbreviated instructions for like a three-hour anatomy lab. So one, like not being comfortable with like what we're doing and not knowing like what the structures are underneath and if you're a donor you know bless them for donating their bodies but mm-hmm. if they do have a lot of fat it's really hard to see yeah structures in that so yeah yeah i think that's been the theme of the first couple of weeks of medical school is just not a lot of direction you just kind of jump in and you're in it and you just have to keep going yeah you got kind of got to trust the process yep. a little bit mm-hmm. yeah. we know what we're doing yeah more, everyone's more like less, you know. you're gonna be fine you're gonna be fine I'm yep. like, okay yeah. <laughs> i believe it yeah what about uh, you're you're telling me that you you uh, had some uh, patient instructors? How was that? Yeah, so we had um, they're called PETAs. I can't remember exactly what it stands I think it's for. It's like patient instructors and training, uh, teaching assistants or something like that. Yeah, um, but they're basically you know ordinary people who have been trained special to uh, help you um, with physical exam skills and um, things like you know auscultation and. Uh, using your stethoscope and all that kind of stuff. Pro tip, the the uh, earplugs go forwards in your ear. <laughs> I like walked into the room and, you know, the PETA told me to, you know, do the exam and I put my stethoscope in my ears and they were in backwards. You, well, you got the right part of your head. So. <laughs> See, at least they were in your ears. Right. We were talking before the show and I was telling them about when I uh, put the stethoscope on the, like, pulse that I was listening to and she's like you need to put it in your ears I was like oh my gosh if I do that in front of a real patient I might as well quit you know? by then you'll be yeah. you'll be it'll be old hat okay. right anything else any other first times for you hmm. first medical school exams pretty big one uh, okay 
that's fine. Uh, you know, I'm content with, uh, with what you've told me so far. Um, well, uh, I want to, you know, I, you haven't been on the show before, so here's my official welcome, um, to the Thank show. You. Thank you so much for Thank joining you. us. Um, I have a doozy of an ethical dilemma for you to think about, uh, this week. Uh, one that reminds me that medicine has a dark past. The BBC had a story this week on its website uh, on an incredibly useful tool for surgeons. It's an amazingly detailed anatomical atlas called Pernkopf's Topical, Topographic Anatomy of Man. And it is an, an invaluable asset because the illustrations are incredibly detailed and, the thought, and they are thought to be the best examples of medical illustration. There is a problem with it though it was illustrated by a nazi surgeon and the illustrations are based upon dissections of jews who were killed by the germans during the holocaust um so pernkopf was an austrian doctor and a supporter of national socialism who uh, the bbc says wore a nazi uniform to work every day he was eventually named the dean of the university of vienna medical school and among his first official act acts there was <laughs> <laughs> Don't laugh. <laughs> Among the fir his first official acts, there was the firing of the of of all of the Jewish faculty members. Um, now, in those days, uh, the bodies of those executed were required by law to be sent to the nearest Department of Anatomy for research and teaching. Um, and one expert from the article thinks that nearly half of the 800 images came from political prisoners. Um, book hasn't been published since the mid 90s, which it shocking to me um that it was that late but it is still valued um by surgeons because of its incredible detail and and uh, accuracy um but many student many surgeons are uncomfortable with the book's origins right uh, you know the illustrations are so useful though that even a rabbi interviewed in the in the piece on the bbc's website was who himself was a holocaust survivor is conflicted about it and about its utility Will you guys I mean, what do you think about this? I mean, if I, okay, so I'm going to, I'll start with my thought and you guys can chime in. Um, I think doctors should stop using it personally. I, you know, a few copies of the book should be consigned to museums, but its origins are just too abhorrent to outweigh its usefulness. What do you guys think about this? There was an interest. So in this article, it talked about how, was it a neurosurgeon? Yeah. Yeah. A neurosurgeon who, you know, like looking at the book. They didn't know where a certain vein was. They knew that they had the book. You know, the quote was that they swallowed hard, used the book mm -hmm. and were able to find the vein in like 12 seconds. Um, I agree with you, Dave. Like, I, th I think that doctors should stop using it. However, like if I was that patient under the table and, yeah. you know, maybe they're an older surgeon who trained with this book, you know, because they didn't find out the origin until the 90s. Right. Like the. I mean, it wasn't well known. Right. So if, you know, maybe this is an older surgeon, they trained with the book, they know where all the veins are. Yeah. I, I mean, obviously it gets, it gets murky and it gets gray, but I yeah. don't know if we should totally like ban the book from ORs. Cause if there's somebody who relies on that, you know, I would want them to have a resource yeah. available. I can see where it gets tricky when, I mean, or where the dilemma is if you're using something for good and for like saving other people's lives. But um, a thing or something that comes up a lot in medicine is consent. And I can't imagine that anyone illustrated in the book, you know, were, was asked if they, um, wanted, or if they were 
uh, permitting their use of their body to be on there. And then also, I just find it really hard to believe that we can't, with our technology and resources that we have, produce a book that's just as useful, if not more, based on... Yeah. I agree. And I, I just think it's a slippery slope. There are a lot of, I guess, issues in medicine that one could argue that something might be better for the patient, but it's unethical and those are not deemed okay. And so I don't really yeah. see how this yeah. is any different than that. And if you say that, you know, this one instance is all right to use something without a patient's consent or something that's not morally um, correct, then it gives way for other things to be brought into the healthcare field that are not ethical. I mean, medicine has all kinds of you know, bits of its past that are, you know, sort of, uh, you know, difficult to, to take. I mean, at some point, um, you may already have encountered, um, the, uh, the story of Henrietta Lacks. Mm-hmm. Um, good book. Came to mind. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Good book, by the way, if you haven't read it. Yeah, yeah. We, we actually interviewed them a while back. If you haven't gone, gotten all the way through our back catalog, Nathan, we interviewed her family. <laughs> um, and it was really interesting. Um, you know, it's a different, it's a slightly different story, you know, but, um, you know, this is a, this is a woman who, uh, this is a, a, a poor black woman, um, in Balt in the Baltimore area. Um, Hopkins essentially used her cells for medical research without her consent. Um, her, 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 her cancerous cells were, it turned out to be incredibly important for medical research and still are. Um, ultimately her family was able to, you know, sort of understand and, and give, you know, sort of permission to continue with the research under certain conditions but you know it's the same kind of it's the same sort of dilemma you know it is something that has such great utility does that utility outweigh its um, dark past absolutely i think that there are a lot of things that have happened in the past too with a lot of like psychological studies um that we would never reproduce now and you learn from that and Guess on the other hand, we don't not use that information. Right. That's true. It's tough. It's a, it's definitely, it's definitely a gray, a gray area. Not, I don't know, not for for me, not too gray, Um, but it is a little bit. I could see how people would have differing opinions, right? Madeline Cusimano has joined us. Hey. Were you you doing something medicine-y? I was taking a test. Oh, okay. What kind of test? Um, micro. Okay. An M2 test. Uh, how'd it go? It went good. It went well, I guess. I don't know. My brain is a little fried, but it's all right. <laughs> welcome to this. Yeah. Welcome to yeah. the welcome to the show. Do you have any? Did you read this article? Do you have any opinions, or were you too busy studying for your test? You know, I don't even know what article you're talking about because I go. came we, late. We, we needn't. Uh, we needn't <laughs> ask. Um, well, I, I, yeah. I, I mean, I, I, I don't know. I kind of doubt this. This book will stop being will stop being used. Um, one. Uh, oh. oh uh, Miranda in our in our co-host group uh, on Facebook um, suggested that it's possible that one of the reasons and this doesn't help one of the reasons this um, textbook is so uh, has such detailed anatomical drawings is because the people who were being dissected um, were emaciated from having been in concentration camps and not well nourished. And so, um, you know, that's why it's easy to pick out structures. Um, that makes it worse for me. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't help yeah. at all. So fascinating bit of uh, fascinating and unfortunate bit of medical history there. Um, and, uh, you know, something to keep your eye out. Yeah, I wonder how many people are or physicians are using it that still don't. Didn't it say like 70 percent in the article like are aware 
Yeah. Oh, yes, that's yeah, right. Seventy percent are aware of it. That doesn't mean that they all have it, but um, yeah, it's a, it's common knowledge. Okay. Um, At least I think we half aware of, of the yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> we we aren't aware of a lot. Yeah. Though. <laughs> You're right. Half of the eight hundred images uh, came from political prisoners. So if there's any good of it, I guess. I mean, not if there's literally any that you know. Hopefully, people you know that's people's lives are being saved. Yeah. You know, if there's any. Yep. Hey, we got, I got two things to tell you about today. I'm sorry. Let's try that again. Well, let's take a break because I want to tell you that we have two things um, that you should know about. The first is our annual arts and medicine conference uh, coming up in October. Uh, it's called the examined life conference. Uh, you guys and other students get a serious price break from our already very low registration fees to attend because you guys are cool. Um, and you know, that, that includes students from elsewhere too. Most meals are included. Our feature presenters this year include Kevin MD's, uh, Dr. Jordan Grummet, journalist, Stephanie Fu, playwright, Ann Bogart, among nearly 40 breakout sessions, exploring the intersections of the arts, humanities, and medicine. You can find out more at the examine at examinedlifeconference.com. And we also have a literary journal. You can check out it's the examined life journal it's published yearly and the issue uh, this year's issue contains 45 pieces of poetry and prose some of the best writing about health and the human condition and you can find that at the examined life uh, by the way everybody who attends the conference gets a free copy of the journal with registration so check those out um i will if if, if uh if our listeners uh, uh attend the conference i'm helping to put it on so you'll see me there and you can you can tell me how awesome we are. And if you don't think we're awesome, don't want to hear it. <laughs> don't want to hear it. Uh, you can also leave star, you know, leave a review on true whatever listening. True, but I will only take five star reviews. <laughs> oh, okay, four star reviews. Four and above. Four and above. Yeah. It's a great four and a half. Great D nice. in medical education. <laughs> yeah. All right, some news items this week. Um, the press is calling it a landmark trial. This week, Johnson & Johnson was ordered to pay more than half a billion dollars to the state of Oklahoma for their role in the state's opioid crisis. Uh, not wanting to be outdone, Purdue Pharma, the company owned by the Sackler family and producers of OxyContin, declared bankruptcy while offering to settle more than 2,000 lawsuits for a total of $10 billion to $12 billion. Um, these are things that are being watched very closely um, uh, by uh, the legal community and the medical community. Johnson & Johnson, who most people associate with things like baby powder and soap, uh, was accused of promoting false, this is a quote, false, misleading, and dangerous marketing campaigns that caused many public health issues, including increased addiction, overdoses, and babies born addicted to opioids. Uh, the $572 million they were, they were ordered to pay uh, was way less than the $17 billion that Oklahoma was seeking for addiction treatment, court costs, uh, community health services that it thinks it will need for the next 20 years fixing their sitch. Um, meanwhile, the Sackler family will give up ownership of Purdue, which will be turned into a for-profit for public benefit trust, which means that the people will own its assets. So the people now own, well, if the settlement goes through, the people will uh, now own OxyContin, which is interesting. I don't know what they'll do with it. <laughs> we, we would have to ask them. Um, including what, and also including what Purdue's lawyers think is more than $4 billion in drugs provided to city, $4 billion in drugs, uh, which will be provided to cities, counties, and states, some of which are opioid rescue drugs. A total of $7 billion to $8 billion is projected 
to come from the sale of drugs as well. Um, the Sackler family have offered to themselves pay uh, at least $3 billion. Uh, Forbes estimates they are the 19th richest family in America, worth at least $13 billion. Uh, so big news. We now may end up owning Oxy. Yeah, what does that mean exactly? I don't if know. People own I don't know. I mean, I think it's so. So this trust essentially owns Oxy. And so this will be for at least 10 years. This trust will exist. Um, and, uh, you know, so essentially the money, the, the whatever profits come from the sale of drugs from now on, if this goes through the sale of the profits go to the people. And so they can be used for, um, you know, I imagine treatment. Mm-hmm. Um, and other situation. Yeah. I mean, I, there's no fixing yeah. all the lives. That have, yeah. yeah. I know it has to start somewhere. It's interesting that, you know, Oklahoma file, you know, filed for this settlement and there, you know, the state is getting this much money, but the opioid epidemic is like a national. Yeah. Well, that was just the Johnson and Johnson one. Oh, okay. That was Johnson just the half a billion. Okay. They wanted 17 billion. Uh, they didn't get that. Um, so, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's going to be spread out. I mean, there, I think there are at least 10 attorneys general, um, state attorneys general who are, uh, who are working with, um, the, in the Purdue pharma situation. So, you know, it gets, it's going to get spread out. Um, but, uh, you know, I also wonder with the, you know, if these companies are settling, you know, if, because they're not going through like the legal process, what we're not going to know. Yeah. I mean, um, they, at this point they get to basically say, well, it's not our, you know, if they settle, you know, they can, they can still insist it's not our fault, but here's, here's the money anyway. Um, so I don't know how expensive, I feel like Oxycontin is relatively cheap, at least in the, I give it out like candy a lot of times. Yeah. I used to. So I was just thinking about how it affect like the cost of drugs, but I don't know if it would affect the cost. I was just thinking about how there are really, really expensive drugs that would be nice that could get out of ownership (laughs) of like big pharma and more into the people's hands. Yeah. Um, Cause it would affect in that way. But if the profits can go towards like addiction and treatment programs and other things to kind of fix all these issues, then step in the right direction. Plus speaking of ethical dilemmas, like, okay, so now you own, now you own opioids, (laughs) you know, now that people own opioids, you can do, uh, things with those. Um, do you continue to, uh, you know, what do you do with that stuff? I mean, opioids have a use for good, right? Yeah, they're already like coming up with a new synthetic one that it's, don't quote me on it, but I think like a thousand times stronger than fentanyl. Seems like a good idea. Which is already, you know, like a hundred times stronger than, Yeah. don't quote me on these numbers, but you know, fentanyl is <laughs> already stronger than morphine and I don't know, that's crazy. What do you do with that stuff now that you've, now that you own it? I guess we'll find out. Um, here's another item. One of the mysteries of medicine is why do patients with rheumatoid arthritis feel better while fasting during Ramadan? I I have never done that. Um, But why does fasting improve multiple sclerosis symptoms in mice? New research on mice and humans published this week in the journal Cell offers some reason for the symptom relief that fasting seems to provide. Two of the studies found immune T cells. Okay, so I don't know what I'm talking about here. (laughs) So Maddie, if you know what I'm talking about, actually any of you, if you know what I'm talking about, you can chime in. Um, uh, Two of the studies found that immune T cells and B cells disappeared during fasting from the bloodstream. Uh, As I understand it, those are the uh, memory cells of the immune system responsible for identifying and destroying pathogens. Does that sound about right? Sounds about right. Uh, So Richard was like, well, where do they go? And they found them. In uh, bone marrow, protected from stress hormones and with more access to uh, yummy, yummy bone marrow. Interesting. Yeah. 
Um, one of the studies found that memory T cells got a functional boost as they hit out there, um, enhancing their ability to fight off infection. In fact, when they injected mice with a bug that had, they'd been exposed to before, those which weren't fasting took a week to fight it off, while those who were fasting cleared their infections in roughly two days. Um, so that's interesting. Like a potential mechanism that we were talking about before is like during fasting or intermittent fasting, your cells undergo autophagy, saying it correctly. Um, so maybe, you know, the cells that are infected are like self-destructed, you know, they're self-destructing before these immune cells have to come in and another potential like mechanism. Off. Yeah. Another study found that monocytes, which I think are made in bone marrow and which produce inflammation in response to an immune challenge according to Wikipedia, were uh, not released from the bone marrow and were less reactive. They were less inflammatory during fasting, which might explain the reduction in symptoms of MS in humans that have been found in some trials. Um, and the author suggested that intermittent fasting might be a good way to lower inflammation in general, which we know is, you know, has systemic effects um, on the body. It's probably something our distant ancestors were forced to do back in mm -hmm. the old days when they when three squares a day wasn't a thing. Um, any of you guys tried internet, intermittent fasting before? I think I almost pull it off. Like I've never tried it because I <laughs> like don't accidentally because I don't eat breakfast for the most part. Uh -huh. So yeah, some of these, uh, some of the, the studies suggested that even like skipping a meal a day, which, you know, other places will tell you not to do that. But yeah, yeah. So if you eat at like 8 PM and don't eat again until noon, like you're already, that's right. like intermittent fasting. Mm -hmm. You have that 16 hour. Right. Mm -hmm. But you're supposed to like restrict almost any sort of like liquids or anything too. like some regimens will say black coffee. Well, water is always OK, yeah. but like some will say black coffee is OK. Some won't. Um, but I have a question about intermittent fasting in general. So you obviously are not supposed to eat for that 16 hour time period. Are you supposed to then like restrict your overall caloric intake? So you're overall. not supposed to like binge when you can eat again. Okay. So it's just one of those things <laughs> where some people, I've heard a lot of different things, like just like the um, keto diet, like really the, just oh, comes no, down whoa, whoa, to caloric. I know I was, I was in it last year. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Don't add us listeners. I'm just similar to theories about this other diet. <laughs> it really might just come down to caloric restriction yeah. because you didn't eat for so long and then you just have two meals and right. so i've been seeing i mean yeah this intermittent fasting is everywhere in social media um and a lot of like figures have been put out recently i feel like that shows like this is what you can eat if you're doing intermittent fasting and it looks like in some of these that it's like a full day's worth of meals just only mm -hmm. in that small time frame that you eat and so I guess I was wondering the same thing because I took this physiology of aging class in undergrad. And the one thing that I got out of it from these mouse studies was that the only way that you can increase your lifespan is by like caloric restriction of 40% or more than your normal diet. And so because of a lot of different mechanisms that I do mm -hmm. not remember. But so that makes sense if it all kind of boils back down to caloric restriction in general. Yeah, I feel like if... Like if you're eating healthier, I don't really know what it is about intermittent fasting, but if you're reducing inflammation, like all of the diseases that they've talked about were autoimmune diseases. And so like the more, the less inflammation that you can cause with autoimmune diseases, the better you'll feel. 
And like the healthier you eat, like if you eat healthier foods, which I guess intermittent fasting is more about when you eat than what. But if you're causing less inflammation, you're just going to feel better. Yeah. Mono, monocytes are the things that are, as, as far as I understand it, monocytes are the cells that basically make you feel like crap when you're when you're sick. I had a friend who intermittent fasted and he said the first two weeks were pretty rough, you know, to like cut out breakfast. Um, you know, you get a little like shaky fatigued, but that coffee you know, he drank coffee in the mornings and that kind of held him over until noon. But he said he felt a lot more clearly. He had a lot more clarity and a lot more energy and time. You know, when you like reduce your times you're eating to twice a day or like one big meal and a smaller meal, that's, you know, a lot less time in the kitchen, a lot less time eating. Um, so he really enjoyed it. I don't know how sustainable intermittent fasting is for yeah. like the long, the long term, but I think it depends <laughs> on your me, I... lifestyle kind of. It's very individualistic. Like going back to what you said about the calories, I don't think intermittent fasting in itself like involves caloric restriction, but it can be used as a tool if you mm -hmm. are looking to lose weight, because if you're like eating in a shorter time window and you're eating bigger meals it might just so happen that you less eat less um, and it's easier. Yeah. If you, yeah. I think it works for some people better because they can like use that time that they're sleeping to not eat. And then if they're, especially if they're not really a breakfast eater anyways, mm -hmm. just to like push through Can't really rather than trying to like just limit your portions at every yeah. meal or just like change. Yeah. If you have a huge eating. appetite and you are struggling with like mm -hmm. portion but control. I, I haven't looked into the science, but I know like people who are proponents of intermittent fasting say it's more than that. It's like the period of time. I think you go into like fat burning mode or something, you know, something like that. Yeah. Does it have something to do with the amount of times you spike your blood sugar in the day or something like that? I'm That's sure that our remember. listeners will write in to tell <laughs> yeah. us. I'm all sure about that the Shortcoats will write in to tell us all about it. Yeah. And I will have to ban this topic as well. Not claiming to be an expert yeah, on we, any of this. Yeah, look, none of it. Guys, don't add us. Please we, don't, we don't know anything about it. We don't it. need Keto 2.0. Right. 2019. We're just talking about something we find interesting. And so we, no, if you want to write to us. I'm we've sure. been in medical school for two weeks. Yeah. yeah. We don't know anything. Yeah. It's not interesting, though, that like. Madeline knows like, 100% more than you. Yeah, I was in yeah, your spot you last year and we were talking about <laughs> keto diets and it just went south so fast oh. but yeah every year there's a new crate like i feel like two years ago they were like eat every hour to keep your yeah. metabolism high and now it's only eat from noon to eight and there's the keto diet and i mean whatever works for you do it <laughs> i, I think as long as you have a like you're keeping up your psychological health with eating and you're finding something that works for you and you're getting all of your like food groups in you know just go for that so if it's keto or intermittent fasting as long as you're not like doing your health worse yeah. <laughs> and you feel good yeah yeah then pay attention, pay go, attention to your go for whatever you want uh well uh i look forward to all of your emails listen <laughs> uh, morgan nathan maggie you guys are new here and in fact you're new to medical school so i thought it's a good time to do a sort of pretest of your patient interaction skills let's see if you can help these poor folks who have supposedly legitimate questions about health and disease and are for some reason looking for that help on yahoo answers <laughs> so let's start with our first person who has a question about uh oddly sugar are we ready let's ready. do it so you know just you know whatever whatever you think okay is organic sugar okay for diabetes? <laughs> <laughs> diabetes? 
I would say if you're going to consume any form of sugar, like maybe organic as opposed to like all the synthetic, what stevia, truvia, etc. I don't know. I honestly have no idea. <laughs> I feel like organic just means that it's not. Oh, well, I guess yeah, I'm not supposed organic? to answer. Yeah, what is one? Yeah, what I think is it's organic sugar. sugar. Yeah, like yeah. just no pesticides and the. <laughs> I think that's the same. It's in the sugar cane sugar. fields. As raw cane. I think that your body will treat it the same as non-organic sugar. Yes, I agree. That's my first. Yeah, thought. your pancreas isn't like. Well, thank God this is, <laughs> you know, uh, cruelty-free yeah. sugar. Yeah, I need to know what his other option was before looking well, those, into organic they sugar. aren't sugar right like stevia it's like a sweetener well stevia i is mean that organic sugar though this otherwise? is this is sugar that is like as you, as you said <laughs> produced without pesticides it's still sugar or are they talking about like natural sugars like sweeteners like honey and and also like it's diabetes is you correct me if i'm wrong but diabetes is not not necessarily about the presence of sugar it's about how much sugar and your body's ability to metabolize that sugar properly and so you can eat a moderate amount of sugar as long as you need sugar yeah sugar is right. kind of important if you're unless you're uh, no matter if you keto. have yeah type type <laughs> one type two or no diabetes like you need some amount of sugar yeah that's the whole problem with diabetes is you can't but do anything with the sugar organic sugar is not going to change the amount of insulin or how your body responds right. to insulin. Yeah. i'm going to tap my idol polydine and say organic sugar is good for you yeah well, not bad for you, I guess. It's okay. Paula for... Dean was about the butter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, she was. She's she's uh, apparently uh, 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 not about that anymore. I guess not about the butter. I'm not. I don't know. She's probably trying to remake herself after she got in trouble all those all those years ago for yeah. being a racist freak. <laughs> all right. Well, organic sugar okay for diabetes doesn't make a damn bit of difference. Just you know, keep yourself healthy. Save your money. Save your money. All right. How about this one? I haven't gotten hiccups in years. Should I contact my doctor? <laughs> yes. I'm jealous. <laughs> I haven't gotten hiccups in years. Should I contact my doctor? We're talking about how little we know. We know that hiccups are like a spasmatic contraction of your phrenic yeah. nerve, which yep. innovates your diaphragm. So but there you go. We, we know, you know something. Thing. We know one thing. <laughs> um, here. There you go. Uh, but, uh, well, maybe this person, is this person concerned they don't have a splenic a nerve or whatever you said? Nerve. Phrenic nerve? nerve? If you're breathing, know, you probably up. do have. I think there are a lot of nerve. other factors that you would notice prior to hiccups if you don't have a phrenic nerve. <laughs> 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 I don't know. Should maybe, you be concerned? Maybe they really enjoy having hiccups. So you think, I, you think we shouldn't hiccup shame? Yeah. These people? <laughs> okay. That'll in increase their quality of life then go to have for hiccups. it right. wasn't there a girl who had the hiccups for six years One. yeah yeah mm -hmm. i remember reading about that that's unfortunate that would be unfortunate she is probably very angry reading yeah. that yahoo yeah, she's like, yeah. question. i'm sorry look if you're listening uh hiccup girl <laughs> you can send me a message i would like to hear about that yeah. i think someone like her? died on Grey's anatomy from hiccups uh it was uh susan her step mother yeah right? yeah because they did all these like unnecessary procedures or something mm -hmm. our new executive producer uh kate desherry who's uh taking over from jason lewis in the writing and humanities program uh we were talking about um having a uh 
a Grey's Anatomy watching party at some point. Yeah, so Dr. Mike, one of like the YouTubers, he does like reacts to oh, certain yeah. channels, short coats, react to Grey's coming up next week. She was uh, he, she she was talking about, you know, like some sort of like a discussion of how uh, uh, medicine is portrayed in the media and um, but also just having a heckling party. So it's fun. You know, look forward to that. Maybe we'll see what happens. All right, let's try this one. This is an important question. I chugged approximately five glasses of water at around 5 a.m. It is now 7.46 a.m. And I've had to urinate approximately every 20 minutes. I worry that I'm going to piss myself on the approximately 20-minute commute to school. Can I go to school? School starts at 9 a.m. This is like, I feel like this is a step one question. I think, I think approximately is, is like an SAT word for him or something. <laughs> this is going to end up on your, this is like a, either a step one question or an SAT question. You know, this is a definite word problem. Work it through. So at the end, he said he's worried that he's going to urinate on his approximately 20 minute drive to school. And then what was the next part? Uh, can you go to school? School starts at nine. <laughs> if your school has public bathrooms, I think you're good. I think he needs to time it. Like if it's every 20 minutes. Yeah, take a wee. And go then... to the bathroom, get on the bus, <laughs> yeah. and then... And then go. Yeah. I thought it was going to be like a hypo... hypo Wear a diaper. Yeah. question, because we just learned about yep. all of like, that. Oh, and I was like, ready to go. Yeah. It's a very simple question to answer. I mean, you know... I mean, yes. So it's a 20 minute. He, he has to pee every 20 minutes. Takes him 20 minutes to get to school. Pee, get on the bus. Yeah, yeah. Yep. it's easy. If you're driving Yahoo Answers Man, pro tip, big Gatorade bottle. <laughs> or a diaper. Catheter, <laughs> or, you know. Or one of them, uh, yeah, one of those uh, trucker urination things. Yeah. That, you know. Or drink four glasses instead right. of five. I don't or know why. Well, that's, 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 don't drink any more water. Eventually yeah. you'll run out of urine. So what's he doing at 540 in the morning <laughs> yeah. drinking four glasses he, like, of water? He has an alarm. He's like, time to chug. <laughs> that's so early to wake up for school that starts at nine. Yeah. Mm. I don't know. It's a good question. Though. An interesting person. Yeah. All right. How about this one? I'm on a road trip and I have packed some leftover white rice in our cooler for my lunch. I'm not able to reheat it, so I'm planning on just eating it cold. I heard rice can give people food poisoning if it's not eaten properly. So I'm wondering if eating leftover cooked rice without heating it first could make me sick. Ten more hours of driving tomorrow and I don't want to risk it. Be serious. Huh? I was on my test. Oh. We're learning all the different. Is this an acronym? Um, it stands for. It's a be serious. Sounds like words, but it's actually a bacteria. Oh, <laughs> it's what I thought. I was. I thought you, you should like, be Dave, serious about Dave, this. Rice. Be serious, Dave. <laughs> no, you can get it from reheated rice. You can. Wait, I, I was do that like make... every single day yeah, of the week. <laughs> well, it's more like if you let rice sit out for too long and then you reheat it and eat it. Okay. Well, that's like with a lot of foods, right? I mean, you don't want to leave a... Yeah, there's basically like... Sandwich with mayonnaise Any food that it. you can think of, you can get diarrhea from. <laughs> <laughs> Approximately every 20 minutes. <laughs> that's, that's kind of what can I learned from micro so far is that nothing is safe. So it's just like, oh, I'll just be a vegetarian. Nope. Romaine lettuce. I like the wording. I like the wording of this question. Uh, this person says, I heard rice can give people food poisoning if it's not eaten properly. <laughs> Which is... <laughs> I don't know. It's not stored properly. Okay. I was just imagining them poking it into the wrong hole. That's not how you eat that's, rice. That's a South Park episode. Yeah, okay. <laughs> 
Uh, all right. Well, I wish this person luck. Um, I eat rice like this all the time, but generally it's been refrigerated and stored properly and then reheated properly. So I feel safe. Plus I have a healthy immune system. I suppose if you're, you know, compromised, uh, immunologically, you might not, you might want to avoid such things. It's already a strike against you always. There also is ice at gas stations. Right. If said person is really mm -hmm. worried about uh, their health. Yeah. Yeah. You'll be all right. Go for it. Let us know what happens. Never take medical advice from Dave. <laughs> All right, let's try this. I'm a little confused about what this person's problem is. My eyes hurt. Burn eyes. <laughs> what? That's all we got. My eyes hurt. Burn eyes. Uh, well, if burn his eyes. eyes are burning, he probably can't see his keyboard. So. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's yeah. a good point. That's he's all he a, can muster. He's not a touch type. Or maybe yeah. in eyes. He's suggesting that if his eyes hurt, should he just... Them. Oh, that's a that's a good point. <laughs> Burn eyes? Question mark. Have you ever yeah. gotten like, I don't know. Have you ever gotten like a like a like a pain like an in, like maybe maybe some sort of infection that gives you itchy skin and you're like I want to chop off this limb, or like when I get um a lung inf you know like when I get a cold and it's so bad I have this fantasy about about filling the sink with water and then sticking my head in the water and breathing in and then breathing it all back out. Uh, first of all, I'm not going to do this. Because I know that would probably kill me. Or like if, um, but it's like drowning. seriously something yeah, I think drowning. about. Like, how am I going to get this out of me if I just could wash it out? It's an interesting theory that you have. Well, you know, like when I was a kid, if I were like, oh, mom, like my toe hurts, I stubbed my toe, blah blah blah, and she's like, well, do you want me to cut it off? Yeah. Was your uh, was your mom a, a physician of some? She's sort? a nurse. Yeah, that's a typical. No empathy. My father for your children. <laughs> my father was a PA and he used to say, well, it's time to amputate. Mm -hmm. Thanks. That'll make it feel better. Yep. Um, well, it turns out that this one has a happy ending. Turns out I just had to go to sleep. <laughs> Thanks, y'all. You're welcome. <laughs> Glad it turned out okay for you. Um, all right, last one, I think. Here we go. Why did my eyes tear up when I poured Johnson's No Tears Baby Shampoo in my eyes? <laughs> <laughs> it was British. Oh. Yeah, we you got a fancy, a different we got voice fancy person. The wording, he poured it. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's baby shampoo. It's supposed to be like non, you know, burning. So why couldn't you just pour it in your eyes and it not? Oh, you know, I, I just learned that the no tears on baby shampoo is actually no tears. Someone told me this. So don't. What? So it like doesn't tear your hair, but it still hurts your eyes. It's like I'm gentler sorry, on the hair. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so either someone's lying to me or this is this theory. <laughs> I don't know about this, especially because I feel like I've heard uh, I've, I've heard commercials or whatever yeah. that say no tears and not no tears. Well, it made him. It who told made you his this? Eyes. Who told you this? I don't know. Well, I think we figured out why he poured shampoo in his eyes. He saw no tears. Yeah, and he's so like, he's well, like, yeah. I don't want to cry for the rest of my life. Oh, so. <laughs> he thought it was some sort of, yeah. Like a tear block. Cry blocking thing. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I'm Okay. So it's all about dilution. I think the problem, the real problem here, right? Yeah. I, I think this has happened to me before and I had the same thought. So I resonate with this no tears man. Um, also, is uh, is is uh, Johnson and Johnson's a? Uh, uh, this is the maker of No Tears shampoo, and they've already you know, yeah. already got a little bit of problematic history with mm -hmm. other things. Apparently, the whole No Tears thing is a meme, and it's gone viral, and it's just this big controversy now. What's the meme? Like just the No Tears or No versus No Tears. Oh, see, 
And now it's going to be a big thing where kids are pouring this shampoo in their eyes to uh, see if there are no True. It'll be the a, next one. This it'll is, be no, well, no we'll do it on the show. Yeah. This is the next generation's what's the Mandela effect. Yeah. You know how like the Berenstein Bears, like we always think. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's like an E. Now it's like no tears. Right. No tears. Right. <laughs> um, I would yeah, say you shouldn't pour anything in your eyes. I think it's a, right. a yeah. bad idea. I think the like, thought is probably that like if it runs down diluted, like you said, Dave, mm, after you use it, then it shouldn't burn your eyes. It's a little eyes, less tearing. It's a little yeah. different than pouring it into your eye. I once had a, maybe I've said this on the show before, but uh, uh, my my roommate from college, uh, who I'm still, he's still my best friend, uh, once thought that what he was uh, drinking from a shot glass was pretty. And so he <laughs> looked at the bottom of it and then inadvertently poured it into his eye. Eye shots are a thing. Uh, yeah, that's a thing. What? Yeah, eye shots are a thing. Yeah, Same vodka. Right yeah, you pour vodka into Does it your eye. Make you yeah, it's because you're you have like all the blood vessels. Oh. Yeah, yeah, and people, oh, people do it because they yeah, think it's, it's going like to a get butt them drunk. Yeah, it's like a yeah, butt chug. Yeah. yeah, it's the modern day It like day absorbs chug. into the tissue. Mm. I heard a rumor yeah. that one of your. Uh, one of your professors mentioned butt chugging in uh, in class last year, but I don't know that that's true. Drop some names. Uh, I don't remember which one it was. Uh, probably anatomy. Was right? he like <laughs> a, a proponent? No, I think he just Actually, mentioned it. It was probably Dr. Hoffman. Like I, oh. that would oh, not he's surprise my, me. Uh, lab like precept. He's great. I love him. Um, I you, no, I don't believe you. About this eye shot. I shot no, it happens. Yeah, listeners, look it up. Don't do it. Yeah, yeah no, yeah. don't do don't it. Try don't try to do it. Don't pour things into your. You should never pour stuff into your eyes that isn't like distilled water or something. I mean, you know, but alcohol is like you know an antiseptic, right? Like back in the old days, they'd like well rub some alcohol. So is hydrogen peroxide and bleach, right? I don't think you should pour those. Yeah, into your eyes. I can't no. imagine that would be good. Look for your eyesight. It'll hurt. You're supposed to pour eye drops into your eyes, but I guess it. But not eardrops. Drop you know, people it. People sometimes pour. accidentally pour, put eardrops into their eyes, and that's a problem because they look very similar. Mm. Don't do that. Yeah, either. that has like oh. antibiotic like properties, right? I don't know. Don't do that. Don't put eardrops in your eyes. Or put the, if it says it's okay, if it says on the bottle it's okay to put in your eyes, I will give you a pass. That's all. That's all I got. Or just go to sleep, right. like the first guy. Yeah, yes. go to sleep. Uh, well, Madeline, Nathan, Morgan, Maggie, thanks for hanging out with me today. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. And of course, I thank you listeners for making us part of your week for all your feedback and your supportive orders over at theshortcoat.com slash store. If you're new here and you like what you heard today, subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, wherever fine podcasts are available. We love answering listener questions. We haven't had any for a while. So send your questions or comments to theshortcoats at gmail.com or you can leave a message at 347-SHORT-CT. You know, it, it admissions interview season is coming up, so I know y'all got questions. Um, we'll, we'll, you know, we'll answer it on the show. And hey, right now, while your podcast app is open, give us some stars and a review. That would make us feel good. The show is made possible by a generous donation by Carver College of Medicine Student Government and ongoing support from the Writing and Humanities Program. Our new executive producer, as I said, is Kate DeSherry. Our opening music is by Dr. Vox. And our closing music is by Catmosphere. Talk to you in one week. Bye.